It's time for episode 25 of the Clockwise Podcast from the editors of TechHive, PC World, Macworld, and GreenBot, recorded February 19, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise. I am Jason Snell, your co-host, and across from me is, as sometimes, not always, <laughs> my lovely co-host, Dan Warren. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Good to be back. I feel like you and I have not been in the, uh, in the saddle as it were, the, the well, digital sound. We did a Macworld podcast last week that fans of Clockwise should go find. In a strange we alternate together universe. Here. Yes, where we do the Macworld podcast instead of the Clockwise. It was strange. However, you had a very nice gentleman as your co-host last week. Did I? Jesus, yes. totally, totally slipped my mind. You may know him as Philip Michaels, and he's here with me now. I've been in this room all week. Wow. Well, that's, and he's back. It's, and there's I'm, no air in that room, is there? I'm so hungry and cold. Yeah. You should have let him out. What was what were you thinking, Dan? I you know, I didn't I didn't read the instruction manual that came with my fill. Yes, Sorry. Phil Michaels, of course, the editor of TechHive, and uh, we have another guest here, Dan. Do we not? We do. Uh, executive editor Jason Cross is here. Hello. I, we have two Jasons, so I'm going to have to differentiate this week. Yes, um, you should always. Famously, I forget do to do that sometimes. Well, Jason Snell, would you care to remind our listeners, in case they've missed episodes here and there, exactly how Clockwise works? Everybody here brings a tech topic they think is worth discussing, and then we talk about it briefly and keep the total podcast under half an hour. Excellent. I think that says it all right there. So let me get started. I will, uh, I'll start with this. Um, Microsoft, I wanted to talk about where Microsoft goes from here. With the appointment of Satya Nadella as the new CEO of Microsoft, I'm wondering what you guys think um, Microsoft should do going forward. What what areas should they focus on? And I, I don't know. I mean, everybody's got an opinion about this. I, I don't know what I think other than to say um, I feel like there are areas that they should give up on. I actually think they should give up on Windows um, Phone. And they should focus on the core Windows operating system, and they should focus on uh, on the um, on their cloud services. But I don't think they're ever going to crack the mobile market, and so I think they should give up. But I'm curious what you guys think, Phil. What do you think? Well, Jason, in your preamble, uh, you forgot to mention I think the product that Microsoft is really is really uh, uh, killing it with right now, which is Xbox One. Uh, uh, it's the living room. Uh, console that everyone sort of aspires to at this point, whether it's your your Sony's or even your Apple's. I think that's an area where where, where Microsoft has done really well. Uh, I'm on the record as being a fan of Windows Phone, but yeah, it seems like it, it, why do you want to be the third uh, the third uh, trombone in the orchestra, as it were? I I don't think they're ever gonna uh, uh, crack the Android uh, iOS hold on the market. And it seems like um, they're just playing around with the the, the Blackberries and the uh, lesser uh, uh, mobile platforms of the world. The larger issue, though, is once you get to be a certain size as a company, there's only there's really nothing wrong with Microsoft per se, other than it's it's big and can't get much bigger. 
I think it was sort of the the same issue that IBM had years and years ago, where once you once you reach a certain size, what what can you do? Apple's going to run into this problem if it hasn't already. Where when you become the world's largest company, you can't really turn on a dime anymore. The best you can do is come up with 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 products that sort of extend your reach into other areas. Uh, in in Microsoft's case, I think it's the Xbox uh, platform. Well, not unlike its signature flagship operating system, Microsoft has gotten kind of bloated, as Phil is pointing out. And I think, you know, it needs to, it doesn't need to do anything. I mean, like, like he's saying, it's successful. It's a, not a growth company anymore, but it's a company that can continue to be, you know, profitable and can continue making money on its various uh, product lines. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I feel like it could really benefit from focusing on a few areas that are, you know, growth oriented. And, and, yeah, Windows Mobile seems like one of those things that's really tough, the, the Windows phone market, just because they're facing so much competition from Android and iOS. Um, but at the same time, that's also, you know, one of the biggest growth markets around, right? There's smartphones are growing much faster than PCs, which are declining. Um, and so I, I don't know, I might disagree with your statement, Jason, that they should focus on the core Windows experience, because in some ways, I think though Windows will obviously continue to be profitable for them for a while to come. It's it's on its way out in many ways. You know, the decline of PC sales is getting more and more pronounced, and they can't hold on to that forever. Um, so it's got to find some way to remain relevant. You know, maybe not in the next five, ten years, but you know, twenty years down the road, it's got to figure out how it's going to be relevant, and whether that means working on, you know, redoubling their efforts on smartphones or working on tablet stuff or moving more into the living room and the serv- services ideas. Um, I think that's. Uh, that's kind of what it's got to be looking forward. I, I agree with Phil that the Xbox is probably the most prominent successful product they have. I don't remember right now if they're making money on it, but they're certainly, you know, they've got a lot of mind share and market share out there. So uh, lots of options for them, but I do agree with the general premise that they need to sort of winnow down, winnow, window, window down, winnow down what they're mm. working on right now. Uh, yep. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they, they need, they're, they're, they're doing too much and they're, Microsoft's always been a company that's willing to stick with something uh, until there's a version that is successful. And stuff like with stuff like Windows Phone, that may never really come to pass. Like they may never really get enough of the market to make back all the money they sink into trying to make this thing successful. Uh, but they do. Uh, to Dan's point, it's you know, computing is not getting to be something where you can say, well, we just have a desktop operating system and that's okay. I think they need to bring together their mobile effort and their desktop effort in a much richer way, much, much more quickly. It needs to be where I can buy an app and I can run it on my phone, tablet, desktop, whatever, as one thing that I bought from one store uh, and do that easily. They have this breadth of ecosystem and they they should be driving that. Uh, but I am a little concerned that their new CEO coming from where he comes from is going to turn the company into IBM, uh, which is not a company that can really exist in the world anymore. It's a world of bring your own device and enterprise. It's a world of work being done by anybody under 30 starting their companies <laughs> and stuff is not being done with big backend services and enterprise software and stuff. They're using off-the-shelf small consumer software and free software and stuff like that, and they're making companies, sometimes very big companies, out of these things. So uh, Microsoft really needs to be a devices and services company that's not focused on 
giant enterprise sales because you know, there's just there's not a long term future in that. I don't think. I think they need to get that that thing where they're selling the device and getting the extra money that selling the device gets you, not just licensing software. Because I don't think I don't think they can do that forever. Sorry, IBM, you're through. Hate yeah. to break it to you this way. Hand in your keys before you leave tonight. Well, the, the 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 varied perspectives here will give you some idea of what the challenges are with Microsoft that they that they're they're having to figure this out, and um, and there are lots of options. I, I, my feeling is you take the parts of your business that are throwing off a lot of pro- profit and you keep them, and you take the parts of your business that have a lot of growth potential and you keep them. I'm not sure that Windows Phone has growth potential because it seems to have been squeezed out. So maybe. Pick a little bit from A and C and let the B stuff that's sort of the things that just didn't make it uh, go away. Anyway, thank you for your perspective. Phil, do you have a topic for us today? I, I do. Uh, Google, as you may have read, has come out with a, a list of do's and don'ts for people who use its glass smart glasses product. Uh, s- some of which are basically could be boiled down to don't be a creep. And um, – very few tech products uh, generally come with a uh, their own built-in etiquette rules. Uh, so, so I'm wondering, does the fact that that Google has to tell Glass users not to be creepy, uh, does that say something about the product and what could be done uh, to make Glass uh, uh, less off-putting as a technology? Dan Morin. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's not just the creepiness. I saw a guy wearing Google Glass on the subway this weekend. And so, you know, he sits down uh, and a guy across from him sort of takes out his headphones and, and looked really interested and said, hey, hey, is that is that Google Glass? And this guy sort of looks at him and gives him this really disparaging, what else would it be? And I'm like, wow. So you picked your, your beta testers right now are all really, you know, smug, it seems like. I feel like one of the problems with it right now, since it's not a product that is mass market, is that you're getting a lot of the people who get do the early adopting buy-in and they may not be the best evangelists for your product. They might be enthusiastic, but they may not be the people who are best able to communicate what that product is interesting for. And to the point about things that you should be you know, doing or not doing when using Google Glass, I think the biggest problem right now is it is so alien and unfamiliar. We haven't, we're used to having people who are looking at their smartphones but now having this world, it like takes up the, it takes it up a notch from when people are talking on Bluetooth headphones and you can't tell if they're talking to somebody or if they're crazy. So now they're staring at you, but are they staring at you or a thing on your, on their computer screen? Um, I don't know if we as people are quite ready for that technology shift yet. Um, but uh, at the same time, I don't know what makes that more acceptable other than just as it gets more and more common it's something that people will get used to um i think hardware design wise i think they could probably do some things to make the google glass maybe a little less ostentatious um and that might help to sort of have it fade into the background a bit because right now it is quite uh it's quite prominent right when you're seeing somebody wear one of these things you're not going to confuse it for oh that's just a person wearing glasses um but yeah, I don't. I don't know. This is a. This is sort of an, an unexplored area, and I think it's one of those things, like with smartphones um, and other person and cell phones and all the other personal technology that we're going to have to feel out as we uh, start using it more and more. I don't know. I, first of all, I think it's really funny that Google did this when there's so few people out there who have one of these. Like you said, it's not even really on the market yet. You can't just go out and buy one. It's expensive as all get out. Uh, 
So it, it just seems like kind of early to be putting out a an etiquette guide for people. Uh, but like you said, it's it's one of those things where the people who are willing to shell out the money to be a beta tester for this now are the people who are the most excited about it, but not necessarily the best indicators of how people in the real world, the, how the broad market are going to use it or should use it necessarily. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure Google Glasses is ever going to be a thing. I, I don't think the I have a camera strapped to my face is really ever going to be – they might sell this thing, but I don't think it's ever necessarily going to take off. I think that's not where you put a camera. If you're going to have a camera available all day, I don't necessarily think you strap it to your face. I don't think the little display that they it puts in your vision is all that useful. It's not like it can cover your whole field of view. I think there may be another generation of product beyond this. If they keep going down this route, that'll do it. But I think we're a couple of years off from it. So I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think they're ever going to sell a whole bunch of these things. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a, uh, it's not even a half-baked product that does insult to that pizza that you buy that's half-baked and you take it home and bake it the rest of the way. This is not, this is not even partially baked. This is a uh, set of ingredients, some of which might make it into the pizza and some of which might not. Mmm, pizza. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I haven't eaten lunch yet, so... It looks weird. You can tell that you're wearing it. I don't think it's going to be the... I think for technology like this to exist, it needs to be unobtrusive, which means it needs to be something that, you know... We live in a world where everybody's got cameras and they can take HD video, but... Um, either you see them holding their phone or it's unobtrusive and you don't notice it at all. And we can talk about what the implications are of a surveillance state and a surveillance culture. Uh, but uh, having a big thing hanging off of the side of your head is the, is the problem here because it doesn't look like uh, something natural. It looks unnatural. And I don't think we're going to get used to it. I think it's going to get replaced by something that is either not doing what Google Glass is doing or doesn't look – it just looks like a pair of glasses. If it looked indistinguishable from a, a pair of glasses or sunglasses, it wouldn't be a big deal. But the new versions that work with prescription glasses still look like Google Glass. It's still obtrusive. And I'm not sure people in the long run are going to want something hanging in front of their face anyway. I think they're going to need to uh, – you know. Uh, project either it's going to either you know be indistinguishable from glasses or they're going to need to do something like project it straight into our eyeball from somewhere i don't know but how that how that works let me know if you can figure that one out so did we satisfy you phil we did but um i i think whenever i see a pair of google glasses out in the wild and i see a few given given where i i live in the world i have the same reaction as when i see someone scoot by on a segway and that reaction is, hey, Steve Wozniak. And that reaction is, ugh. What if they're wearing Google Glass while scooting by in a second? Oh, they are history's worst monster. Then, <laughs> uh, I, I think a lot of the problem, as we've as we've hit on, is with the design. There is just no way, uh, or at least they haven't found a way, not to to make that that product. Uh, look non-punchable and um, <laughs> w- uh, perhaps one day with a better design and with a uh, uh, once they they settle on what actually you're supposed to do with Google Glass in in a way that that speaks I think to to more of a mass market it won't have that segue like feeling of oh you have too much money on you and time on your hands but but for right now that's kind of the feeling I get and and a set of do's and don'ts isn't going to change that. Dan, it's halftime now. We've done two segments. We have two more to go. Are you ready for something exciting? 
Uh, yeah, now. Ready. Go. Okay, good. Uh, we have a sponsor. Sponsor appears at halftime. It's audible.com. Audible, of course, you may already have heard of. 150,000 different audiobooks to choose from. Free apps for your iPhone, your Android phone, your Windows phone, which I've just consigned to the dustbin of history. Isn't that nice of me? Download and listen. Uh, there's a Mind Library feature that lets you access your books anytime from the cloud. Um, lots of great books. Uh, lots of stuff that is not... Uh, has not been abridged and edited for for shortness, but gives you the full book experience. Dan, do you read books? Uh, sometimes, when I remember how to read, yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. Some people like to read books and have them be paper books. Other people like to listen listen to books. Jason, Phil, you readers, do you read? Have you been known to read? I've been known to read a, a, a word or two. I don't read that often, but I like the audiobooks. That's a great way for me to read on the bus and not uh-huh. really read on the bus. Well, here's the thing. Um, Audible has a special deal for Clockwise listeners that I think you will like. You get a book of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. I, w- I want to recommend a book, by the way, for those out there who are wondering what in the world they would use that free, free audiobook for. I just finished a book called The Martian by Andy Weir. It's available unabridged. It's about 11 hours long on audible.com. A lot of fun. It's about a guy who is on the third, I think, mission to man mission to Mars, and he gets left behind through a series of unfortunate events and has to find a way to stay alive until somebody maybe can rescue him. And I really liked it a lot. And you can check that out on Audible. It's narrated by R.C. Bray, and uh, it's unabridged, so you can listen to the whole thing. So here's what you do. 11 hours is just 22 clockwise episodes. That's I imagine the value. And you get it for free. By signing up, so you go to audiblepodcast.com slash clockwise and choose from over 150,000 titles, including The Martian. Download one book for free and start listening. That's all you need to do. Audiblepodcast.com slash clockwise, audiblepodcast.com slash clockwise, and get started today. And thanks to Audible for sponsoring Clockwise. Dan, halftime is over. What's your topic? For our third quarter. Um so we've seen a lot of these devices that have uh, are being talked about now as ways to simplify payments. So just today I was reading something called Loop. Um, a few uh, a month or two ago, I saw the Coin, which is sort of an all-in-one credit card that's coming out sometime this year, I think. Um, and so my question is: we, we've there's been a lot of talk in recent months about revolutions to the way that we pay for things, and some of that's been. Sp- Bond by the uh, security hacks that we've seen places like Target. Um, and so my question really is, are these devices that are coming out, are they, you know, what payment's going to look like? Or do we feel like maybe there's they're going to be superseded, you know, they're sort of stopgap solutions for something like paying with your smartphone? I'm curious to know what you think the future of paying for things is. Jason Cross, how about you? Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of there's a lot of these things, like you said, coin, uh, paying with your phone. You know, there's tap and pay on Google now, where you can just you can, they can plug in things, and you can just tap with your phone and pay on Android phones. There's they're all based on convenience and the convenience uh, at the point of purchase for the purchaser, and that's not solving any of the problems. You said like the Target breach that that's all someone breaking into their payment stuff on the back end and all of these things are still backed by some credit card number some checking account number something like that that somebody could break into target servers and steal all of it right that's so i don't think any of these things are really solving kind of the big problem of there needs to be a safer better way to pay for things because 
the, the problem is not on the consumer's end. That said, uh, I'm tired of carrying around a wallet full of, you know, various different squares of plastic and would really love something that would make that all unified and easier. And, and it's really going to be, I think, an interesting five years or so of a shakedown in the market of which thing, which things sort of become de facto standards and which things fall by the wayside. Because if you can't go pay for it everywhere, then you're still going to have to carry around all of your old payment methods for all of those places that don't take your new fancy smart credit card thing or phone payment or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. Um, for me, the goal is uh, if I forget my wallet, can I pay for things with my phone? Because I, I think I don't want to carry around, uh, you know, a credit card that's five credit cards. I don't, I don't want to carry around a credit card. I want to find a way to pay. And yes, I do want it to be secure. But I, I agree. I think that whatever we're going to carry around with us, which is probably our smartphone, needs to be able to pay. And uh, you know, NFC that Google's been trying. It's, it, it, you know. It's less common. I think uh, scanning barcodes on off of the screen, you know, it, it seems primitive, and yet at the same time, all smartphones have screens and they can display stuff. And uh, there's no reason not to have both. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Mm-hmm. This is true. But I, I definitely that's my goal. I was talking to somebody the other day about this. How what happens if you uh, you lose your smartphone? And, and right now the answer is I've got money on my Starbucks card, and there's an app on my phone, so I could buy food at Starbucks, I guess. But that should be if I if all I have is my phone, I should be able to pay for things. And I hope we get there. But um, I'm not sure these ways of hacking the you know credit card system, not like target hacking, but like coin or something like that. I just I, I think it's all transitional and hacky, and we've got the phones. Let's use the phones. Phil? I, hey, I have a secure method for paying for things. It involves pictures of presidents. Wow. Yeah. No. Any it, any picture of presidents? Yeah. Like, I, I just go to Wikipedia. I just and, hand like, over a picture. Out, I just hand a picture over a picture of, of Howard, William Howard Taft and say, "Give me food, please." No, I I, I hate to come on a, a technology podcast and sound like a luddite, but I I get really nervous with these these. Assorted conflicting payment systems that have access to my my credit record or my bank or or what have you. I don't want to hand over that information until I know what you're offering me is is is, is solid and dependable. To 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 use a, a a currency alternative, I felt the same way about Sacagawea dollars. I don't want to have <laughs> a coin and hand it over to a, someone at a Seven Eleven and have them look at me like I'm I'm handing over a Chuck E. Cheese token to them. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad for the squares and the coins and all these these companies trying to tout themselves as the the best new way to pay for things. But until they prove it with people who are less luddites than me, I'm I'm just gonna uh, stick to what I what what's in my wallet. And what's in my wallet is cold hard cash, baby. Though not nearly enough of it. Well, well, the one problem, of course, with that cold hard cash is that anytime you try to buy something online with it, you're gonna have a really hard time. I mean, I don't know how Amazon feels about you mailing in those envelopes full of cash to them, but I think they'd probably like you to stop. Um, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of potential here for uh, you know something to come along, and I think that what we're starting to see is that the magnetic stripe system, at least, is untenable in the long run because it's so vulnerable based on the way that it's set up. Uh, and whether that just means we're gonna we're gonna end up shifting to the chip and pin as the uh, 
other countries have done or whether we're going to be looking at an entirely new way to pay for things, um, I think we're going to have to see. But it's going to be a painful transition, is my guess. And, and like Jason Cross was saying, you're probably going to end up with that period where you have to carry around more stuff than you would like to. But I'm hoping that in the long run, we end up with something that is uh, at least as convenient as credit cards and more secure. I think that would be a pretty big win. So, uh, Jason Cross, you got a topic for us? I do. Uh, I wanted to talk about the craziness going on with smartphone uh, screen resolution and ask you where it's going to stop. There is already one phone announced on the market, the Vivo X-Play 3S, which has a 2560 by 1440 resolution screen on a six-inch display. That's 490 pixels per inch. Uh to put that in perspective, your Retina iPhone 5 5S screens are 1136 by 640 on 4 inches. That's 325 pixels per inch. The new Galaxy S4 is supposed to be like 5.3-inch screen or so, they say, with maybe that Quad HD resolution as well. And there, Samsung's already talked about next year we're going to do 4K phones, which would be... It's a lot. And it's I don't think it can possibly be ne- necessary. Is this too much? Where should it end Jason Snell, go. It is too much, and it should end now. How about that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's. I declare this. But over. how much is enough? You know, I. You know, I. I think if it's beyond the limits of human perception, it's too much. And actually, you, then you start to hurt because your video cards and things like that. The video processing on the units have to push more pixels, and the apps have to. You know, the graphics are unnecessarily detailed. So I think on a small screen, once you get up above whatever three or four hundred DPI, there's no point to it at all. It's just a, a that won't stop people because it's a feature spec race, and a lot of manufacturers love it. But at some point, they got to find a better feature. And and saying it's a 4K display in your hand, but you literally couldn't tell the difference because without a microscope. And uh, I, so, I, yeah, I think it's. I think we're we're rapidly nearing the end. The fact that you're asking this question suggests that we're entering the ridiculous feature war phase and have left the things people could actually notice phase. And I, I feel like we're there, Phil. Jason's absolutely correct. Snell, that is. Um, <laughs> the the first time I picked up a Retina display iPhone, I, it was like, oh my goodness, this is this is a, a feast for the eyes. And I, it, you get to the point where it becomes imperceptible to those eyes. The, the eyes are all fed, baby. So, um, yeah, it, I, I would much prefer that phone makers start concentrating on other, other ways to differentiate themselves from each other. One of those ways might be durability of the phone, um, I, I think. As, as phones have become more essential to our lives, we want to we want them not to break the first time. Uh, the first time they they tumble out of our hands. Uh, I I myself, if I had a 4K phone in my hand, I would have to chain it to my wrist to make sure that that screen never cracked. So, uh, how much is too much? I I think we have we we if we haven't reached that point, we will uh, in about a week. Yeah, well, like the like you guys have been saying, there's a diminishing returns here, right? Um, and I think we see this with the with technology all the time. Um, things like the the megahertz race, the megapixels and cameras, right? Like all of these things are just, it comes in waves. They need something to focus on in terms of specs so they can say, hey, look, we've got a bigger number than the other guy, and that means our product is better. 
ultimately, does it really make it that much better? Probably not. I mean, there's certainly room for improvement. I love the Retina display. Uh, a lot of people on the on my iPhone 5, and a lot of people have already started talking about larger screens on iPhones, and certainly as you increase screen size, you know, you might need to, to uh, bump up the resolution a bit. But I think 4K on a phone seems kind of ridiculous and probably overly expensive. Um, there's also the question of just because you have so many more pixels doesn't mean you necessarily have a better display, right? Because in the same way that more megapixels in a camera will give you more quality in theory. There are other things that play into how good a picture you take. And the same thing's true with, uh, you know, a display. You can have a ton of pixels, but if the quality of your screen isn't very good, you might be dealing with, like, viewing angle problems and stuff like that. Um, so it's really all about usability, right? Like, that's our almost everybody's priority when it comes to a phone. It's like, does this actually make what I'm doing with my device better? Does it make the experience of using it better somehow? Uh, and I think that, you know, getting to a point where you have the sort of retina quality display, you know, where you can't see the pixels, definitely improve things like reading text. But, you know, once you hit the high end of that curve, it stops being something that, you know, really improves things as they go along. Yeah, I, I think the magic number kind of is 1080p. I think the 1920 by 1080 for a for most screen sizes, which, you know, uh, it's funny, Apple's cut now on the small end of what a smartphone screen is, but they're around five inches, plus or minus a few tenths of an inch. 1080p at that resolution is you can't see the pixels. It matches nicely with all everyone's HDTVs and all the content that's authored for those things and everything. So you can just stick with that, and that's a good place to be. And anything more is just wasting battery life, which is already really precious and... It's making me spend more money to get less battery life. I don't like that. Amen. All right, we have a time for our bonus question. It's very quick. We are almost out of time. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring us, but they take up a couple minutes of the podcast. So watching the Winter Olympics, lots of countries marching in the opening ceremonies and all that. My question to all of you is, if you could choose one country to live in, in all the world, other than the United States of America, what would it be? Really fast. Uh, we'll go backward. Jason Cross, what do you think? Japan. All right. Yeah, I studied a lot of Japanese stuff in college. Uh, it's a neat, high-tech country uh, with a lot of weird, cool stuff. Uh, I think I would love living there. All right. Dan Morin? I loved living in the UK, but right now, since it's snowing so much, any place warmer than where I am right now. Phil? Since Dan Morin did not claim the UK, I claim it for myself. Uh, Scotland specifically, near a uh, near a distillery, even more specifically. <laughs> All right. Fair <laughs> enough. And I enjoy the UK a lot, but I've decided that I, I will choose Ireland, which I believe because I'm a writer, I may get a tax break out of it. And it's a short hop to the UK from there. And you get a distillery there, too. All right. I believe we're completely out of time. So I want to thank... Our guests, Phil Michaels, thanks for coming back and being guest instead of host this week. You're, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. And Jason Cross, thank you for being here. Thanks so much. It was fun. So until next time, I will remind you, Dan Morin, how we end this podcast, which is that I say to Phil Michaels, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Well done, Phil. Bye, Dan. Wow. <laughs> Burn.